Did you know hypertensive urgency and emergency were previously known as malignant hypertension? Coined in 1928, this term was used because patients suffering from this condition, significant hypertension with end organ damage, had a similar prognosis to patients with many cancers. Thankfully, modern antihypertensive regimens that are able to quickly and safely lower blood pressure have improved patient outcomes. Today, our patient has a hypertensive emergency, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled A Pressing Pressure Problem, Hypertensive Urgency and Emergency. Time for our minute physiology. A hypertensive emergency is defined as an acute significant elevation in blood pressure with signs of new end organ damage or dysfunction and can potentially be life-threatening. The significant blood pressure elevation typically involves a systolic blood pressure greater than or equal to 180 millimeters of mercury and or a diastolic pressure greater than or equal to 120 millimeters of mercury. In contrast, hypertensive urgency is defined by the same elevated blood pressure parameters but with no evidence of end organ damage. End organ damage can manifest in various ways and may involve organs such as the brain, eyes, heart, lungs, and kidneys. Why might a significant acute elevation in blood pressure cause organ dysfunction? Unfortunately, the underlying mechanism of hypertensive emergencies is poorly understood, but it is believed that the elevated blood pressure places significant stress on the vasculature, causing endothelial injury and inflammation that ultimately results in organ hypoperfusion and cerebral edema. Hypertension affects roughly 30% of the population and is the most common modifiable risk factor of cardiovascular disease and premature deaths worldwide. Hypertension occurs more commonly in men than in women. It is estimated that of patients who have hypertension, 1-2% to will develop hypertensive urgency or emergency. Hypertensive urgency is more common than hypertensive emergency. These conditions can occur as isolated events, secondary to another etiology, or on a background of pre-existing hypertension. Risk factors include older age, obesity, history of cardiovascular comorbidities, and poor medication compliance. Alright, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. Typically, you will be called to see a patient when the acute significant blood pressure elevation is detected incidentally on a routine vitals check, or if a patient has new symptoms and vitals are assessed as part of the early workup. Common symptoms of hypertensive emergency include headache, altered mental status, blurred vision, chest pain, and dyspnea. This means that your differential diagnosis should include conditions with similar presentations such as stroke, aortic dissection, acute coronary syndromes, pheochromocytoma, and poor compliance to antihypertensive medications. Your first step will be to assess whether the patient is stable or not. What is their GCS? Are their ABCs stable? Repeat the vitals and make sure the blood pressure is checked in both arms, specifically to assess for aortic dissection. Perform a screening neurological examination to assess for potential sequelae of hypertensive emergency. If the patient is unstable and you believe that the situation is beyond your level of experience or comfort, do not hesitate to seek senior help. Once your patient is stable, you can move forward with your assessment. On history, you want to determine whether the patient is symptomatic and clarify the onset and duration of symptoms. Take a systematic approach to identify abnormalities in each of the commonly affected organ systems. From a neurological perspective, determine the presence of a headache, altered mental status, weakness, convulsions, 
and any other focal neurological deficits. New chest pain, dyspnea, palpitations, and back pain may point to cardiopulmonary dysfunction. Blurred vision or visual changes suggest ocular involvement, and decreased urine output may indicate renal impairment. Determine if the patient has a history of hypertension and whether this is appropriately controlled with antihypertensive medications. See if there have been any recent changes to the medications, such as discontinuation of certain medications on admission, and find out whether this patient has a history of poor medication adherence. The patient's symptoms may also be due to withdrawal or intoxications, so take a close look at the patient's medications and identify any recreational drug or alcohol use. Consider whether the patient was admitted for a condition associated with significant pain, as pain may cause hypertension. Groups of symptoms may point towards a specific condition, such as headache, diaphoresis, tremors, and palpitations in the setting of pheochromocytoma. A patient with a history of rheumatologic conditions who has severe hypertension, altered mental status, signs of renal failure, or signs of congestive heart failure may be suffering from a scleroderma renal crisis. On physical exam, assess mentation and conduct a detailed examination of the cranial nerves, peripheral nervous system, heart, and lungs. Your neurological exam should pay particular attention to confusion, vomiting, speech abnormalities, unilateral weakness, paresthesia, and poor coordination. Determine if the patient has any signs of head trauma. On cardiac and pulmonary exam, listen for new arrhythmia, extra heart sounds, and crackles in the chest. Look for an elevated jugular venous pressure and pitting edema. Findings of new aortic regurgitation and asymmetric pulses are concerning for aortic dissection. Presence of flame hemorrhages or papal edema using an ophthalmoscope may indicate retinopathy. If the patient has a urinary catheter, review the patient's urine output. Okay, now on to investigations. Investigations can be divided into two categories those that identify the sequelae and the end organ damage from significant hypertension, and those that identify an underlying cause of the acute blood pressure elevation. All patients with concerns for hypertensive emergency should receive an ECG, screening serial troponins, and blood gas. A CBC should be ordered to assess for hemolysis, such as in microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, as this may be related to significant hypertension. Order serum glucose, electrolytes, creatinine, and urinalysis to assess for worsening kidney function and hematuria. Although less helpful, liver function tests may be ordered to rule out liver injury. If intoxication is suspected, a urine drug screen may be considered. Imaging plays an important role in the workup of significant hypertension. A chest x-ray should be performed. A widened mediastinum on chest x-ray is the classic finding for aortic dissection and warrants further imaging. Pulmonary edema would be concerning for end-organ damage relating to acute decompensated heart failure. A CT head without contrast should be ordered if there are any focal neurological deficits, altered mental status, visual changes, or concerns for stroke. In approaching long-term management of hypertensive urgency, investigations directed towards the etiology would be important. For example, urinary metanephrines can be ordered to screen for pheochromocytoma, and TSH can help look for hyperthyroidism. Checking the aldosterone-renin ratio for hyperaldosteronism should also be considered. An autoimmune workup, including anti-topoisomerase antibody, also known as anti-SCL70 antibody, may be useful in identifying systemic sclerosis causing scleroderma renal crisis if clinical symptoms are present. Time to move on to treatment. 
Treatment of hypertensive urgency and emergency varies in several ways. Hypertensive urgency can be managed in an acute inpatient ward or even in ambulatory settings, whereas hypertensive emergency must be managed in an ICU or step-down ICU setting. In hypertensive urgency, a common cause is discontinuation or inadequate dosing of hypertensive medications. Therefore, the blood pressure is typically managed by restarting, modifying, or titrating pre-existing oral antihypertensive therapy. Blood pressure should be reduced gradually over one to two days, as rapid decrease in a patient who is chronically hypertensive puts end organs at risk of hypoperfusion since the body has adapted to persistent hypertension. Treatment of hypertensive emergency should be guided by etiology and will require monitored admission in an ICU or step-down ICU setting. Immediate blood pressure control is typically warranted using IV antihypertensives. An arterial line provides accurate continuous hemodynamic monitoring over non-invasive blood pressure monitoring. The general recommendations involve a decrease in mean arterial pressure by 10 to 20% within the first hour, followed by a roughly 25% decrease in mean arterial pressure in the next 24 to 48 hours. The exceptions to this are in cases of aortic dissection and acute stroke, which have different treatment targets. Type A or symptomatic type B aortic dissections are surgical emergencies. Asymptomatic type B aortic dissections should be treated medically with a target systolic blood pressure of less than 120 millimeters of mercury as long as end organ perfusion is maintained. This is typically monitored in a coronary care unit. Hypertensive disorders in pregnancy follow separate guidelines and targets that are beyond the scope of this podcast. Choice of IV antihypertensive medication is dependent on the affected organ, side effect profile, and contraindications. Sodium nitroprusside is an arterial and venous vasodilator that reduces preload and afterload. While effective, it should be avoided in the setting of strokes as it may increase intracranial pressure and an acute MI. Use of nitroprusside should also be monitored for signs of cyanide toxicity, especially in patients with liver disease. Nitroglycerin reduces venous return and preload by acting as a rapid venous vasodilator. It is effective in pulmonary edema and acute MI, but should be avoided in inferior MI given the preload-dependent nature of inferior MIs. It is also contraindicated in patients who are using phosphodiesterase inhibitors, such as sildenafil and tadalafil. If nitroglycerin is used, patients should also be monitored for tachyphylaxis. IV hydralazine vasodilates peripheral arteries and is an effective antihypertensive, but should be avoided in hypertensive encephalopathy. It may also cause rebound tachycardia and is a cause of drug-induced lupus. IV labetalol acts as an alpha-1 and beta antagonist and can be considered as an option in stroke and aortic dissection. It should be avoided in patients with acute systolic heart failure. In patients with pre-existing hypertension, careful blood pressure control after discharge should be maintained to reduce the likelihood of future occurrences. This may include a combination of lifestyle modifications, dietary changes, and an appropriate medication regimen with regular follow-up. Now let's finish with our medicine minute. An article by Sibley and colleagues published in the Canadian Journal of Emergency Medicine in 2020 stated that of the patients presenting to the emergency department with no previous diagnosis of hypertension, more than 50% of those patients continued to have persistent hypertension after discharge. For patients presenting with a known history of hypertension, poor medication adherence plays a significant role in as many as 25% of these patients. Therefore, detailed investigations on the cause of hypertension, developing strategies to encourage medication adherence, and close follow-up are crucial to ensure that your patient's hypertension is adequately controlled. 
All right, that's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled A Pressing Pressure Problem, Hypertensive Urgency and Emergency. This episode was written by Dr. Jeffrey Lam, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Amar Jowry, cardiologist, Dr. Xingming Chow, cardiologist, and Dr. Marie Lung, general internist. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leia Kirinopoulos. This episode was recorded by Leia Kirinopoulos and produced by Nafis Hussain. Music production by Lakshmi Santhanoa. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out the associated infographic at www.theinternetwork.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.